Hello, NAPI members and flight instructors. This is John Niehaus, Director of Program Development for the National Association of Flight Instructors. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the NAFI More Right Rudder podcast, the podcast for flight instructors on the go. And today's actually a special day um, because I have a friend of mine here and uh, we're going to talk to my alma mater. So uh, today's topic is going to be collegiate aviation. And uh, my guest today is um, a faculty specialist with Western Michigan University's College of Aviation. He's a CFII and MEI ATP three-time NAFI master. And uh, he also has his uh, MBA with the university, Kyle Jensen. Kyle, welcome. Thanks, John. I'm, I'm happy to be here and uh, happy to be back involved with NAFI. Yeah, yeah. If for those that don't know, um, if you were lucky enough to come by uh, Sun and Fun or Air Venture, this would have been maybe what six years ago. Yeah, probably around 2014, 15 type time frame. I started wow. here at Western full time in 2016, so uh, it would have been before that. Okay, it's hard to believe it's been that long. But if you were around back then and went to the shows. Um, you would have found Kyle helping us out um, at uh, both Air Venture and Sun and Fun. So we uh, we had a few weeks where we stole him away from the university, and uh, um, we tried to steal him completely, and uh, and he said no, but that's all right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so Kyle, we uh, we go back to our um, initial flight instruction days. I had done a little bit outside of the university, but uh, the university welcomed me back and uh, you and I got to uh, um, meet and we were in initial standardization class at uh, Western for being a CFI. And uh, we worked side by side for a couple of years there. That was, uh, again, also hard to believe that it's been as long as it has. Um, yeah, I have a hard time with a lot of the part time instructors down here remembering who's been here at what points because it uh when somebody tells me a date like we were just talking about with uh sun and fun and air venture it is hard to believe it was that long ago <laughs> yeah somehow we're getting of that age it's yeah. it's i i try not to think about it <laughs> but for those that don't know you kyle um tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your role at western so as you said i'm a faculty specialist here and basically what that means is at the chair's disposal, they can put me wherever they want, whether that's mostly on the flight line or in the classroom or working on curricular changes. Um, it, it's totally up to them. And uh, I kind of just go where I'm needed. Over the last few years, that has transitioned more into the classroom and curricular changes uh, and, and away from some of the, the flight line stuff. I still do a number of 141 checks every semester. Um, in the summer months, I do a lot of flying, kind of uh, the specialized instructors, some MEI, CFI initial type things. Uh, but for the most part, it's become classroom work. And uh, I've taught intro to aerodynamics, crew resource management, uh, aviation meteorology, Aviation safety, corporate aviation management. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing. If, oh, global navigation. That's the one I do every semester. Advanced aerodynamics. So I'm on a lot of classroom work uh, over these semesters, especially in the fall and the spring. And so that's kind of how the job has evolved for me. Yeah. So, I mean, you you spent a lot of time as a very active instructor. Um, and uh, I think you and I became Czech instructors for Western probably about the same time. 
um, and uh, kind of worked your way up from there. And and um, now you're molding new new minds in the in the classroom. So a little bit. Yeah, of, that's right. Sounds like you do a little bit of everything. Yeah, they uh, initially, obviously, I had started part time. Uh, as you mentioned, we were in the same hiring class there. And that did ultimately transition into a full time position, not with the College of Aviation on campus, actually, uh, but with the extended university programs. And so I got involved in a lot of online class development and things like that, uh, helping some of our subject matter experts here. Um, you know, put their classes online and, and become more uh, technologically aware, I suppose is a, a good way to put it. And then, uh, so that kind of started taking away from a little bit of the flying side of things. But in that meantime, as I was still part-time, started flying a Part 91 citation. I uh, still do that from time to time. And uh, then from there, after the extended university program appointment kind of expired, uh, the College of Aviation decided to hire me on full-time. And that's when I really started teaching classes. That would have been in 2016. And uh, so it, it, uh, it's evolved into a lot of different things for me now. And, and over the last few weeks, it's been a lot of curricular stuff, you know, mm -hmm. uh, talking to your people like you. And, uh, you know, we've had a few good discussions over the last few months about curriculum um, and, and people that I've, you know, gone through training with and, and were, had instructed with uh, that are now at the airlines. I've got former students that are captains now, so it's, that's, that's kind crazy. of hard to believe. Yeah. But uh, got a lot of good industry contacts to help with that curricular design, what the industry wants, what the industry is seeing. And then we're fortunate enough to be able to make those changes here and, and give the students all the knowledge and tools they need to go out into the industry and be successful. Very cool. So I brought you in today. Um, obviously, we want to talk about collegiate aviation, but I think we've got sort of uh, um, three different uh, plans to chat about. And I think the first is because we know that not just flight instructors listen to this podcast. We've got pilots. We've got prospective pilots. So I, I think um, the, the three things we want to cover today real quick would be what does it mean to go into a collegiate program as a prospective pilot or a pilot in training? Um, the second would be being a flight instructor for um, a collegiate program um, and sort of the differences between what uh, the collegiate program looks like compared to some of the other avenues of training out there. And then, of course, uh, what does it look like to, you know, jump from um, the collegiate program to, you know, some of the places you see some of your students going. So, uh, let's start off with, uh, with the collegiate program coming from a pilot or prospective pilot. What, uh, what are the things that somebody should be looking for in a program if they don't really know much about aviation? The first thing they want to look for is an accreditation uh, board that is actually holding that program, whether it's collegiate or not to a set standard and kind of understand that standard. We're, we're certified by ABBY, uh, the Aviation Accreditation Board. I, I can't even tell you what it stands for to tell you the truth, uh, but I am very familiar with their charges, um, and all of our class structure is designed 
to meet those charges. Now, this isn't just a board of people that have decided they want to volunteer for something and, and you know, give their time up. These are industry professionals, uh, UPS captains, um, you know, corporate managers, airline captains, that kind of thing that serve on this accreditation board that come to our program every five years and say, yes, this program is worthy of our stamp of approval. And it's, it's a very rigorous program or a very rigorous review that we go through every five years. So that's one of the first things I would suggest to somebody as they look for a program, what is the accreditation standard? Because then you get a good look at, uh, you know, what you can expect from that program, what kind of professionalism and what kind of goals and outcomes you can expect from that program. Um, the second thing I would suggest looking at is beyond just the aviation side. Um, you know, we as a college of aviation actually issue a bachelor's of science degree upon graduation. So we're not wholly 100% always delivering aviation classes. We expect that student to come out as a well-rounded individual. There's physics classes, there's math classes. That might seem unappealing to some, but I will tell you that it does make you a well-rounded student. I've seen it uh, from some of these students that have come out recently that advance through. Uh, matter of fact, we just had one of our management uh, and operations students named to the NBA 40 under 40 list. I think he graduated two or three years ago. Wow. So these are well-rounded individuals that are coming out of our program. And, you know, I think that's something that somebody shopping a perspective into aviation, if you will, uh, that, that's something they need to look at is, is it strictly aviation or does it, does it turn you into a well-rounded individual as you go out there? And, and you know, as well as I do, what a high value people put on that, whether it's mm -hmm. at the airlines or whether it's at a corporate department, they put a high value on that. They, they want to want to be around you. You know, it, it's, it's a, uh, certainly a, an addition to your credentials. So then when I start looking at, okay, I want to become a pilot um, and I start looking at all the options out there and I think that they all have value. So I don't want to discourage anybody from picking one route over another per se. Um, but what would be an increased reason why you might choose a program like Western Michigan University over another program or a part 61 school? Well, you're exactly right. I wouldn't disparage any of the routes because it's got to suit the individual. Somebody might have just listened to what I said about being a well-rounded individual and say, that's not for me. I mm -hmm. cannot stand being in a classroom. Um, you know, I, I want to get my ratings and get to a, a regional airline. That's all I want to do, you know, to, to each their own in that, in that sense. Um, but to, to kind of say why go the 141 route or the collegiate route i should say over the other routes again it's it's each their own however we do have a number of benefits and one is kind of a tangible benefit in that you only require a thousand hours to get that restricted atp certificate uh, airlines are hiring people out of our program, our flight instructors at about 960 hours, and they'll top them off with the other 40 in the sim uh, as they go through their standardization training. 
Um, so as opposed to the 1500 hours required from say a part 61 applicant for the ATP certificate, we're down to a thousand hours because you've completed a four-year program like ours. Uh, the so other that's the definition of, of a restricted, right? Is there, Correct. what's, Correct. is there more to the story there? Uh, you, you mean from what are they restricted on doing? Just in case somebody doesn't know what a restricted ATP is. So yeah, really the restricted ATP is just a, a reduction in that hour minimum. It does restrict you from being serving as captain in some 121 operations and 135 operations. And even there's there's some subparts of part 91 that you could get into that have requirements for the restricted uh, ATP. But it basically just gets you into that bigger, faster airplane a little bit quicker. So that's um, a huge benefit. Big benefit. You know, 500 hours, most of us as instructors, especially in Michigan, uh, this close to Lake Michigan, know how valuable 500-hour reduction would be. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I'll say about the collegiate versus part 61 or, or some of the other 141 uh, um, training programs is you do get that college life, you know, and I'm not saying it's an animal house situation or anything like that, because you and I discussed it the other day, our students are really held to a high standard here. Um, but it is you're, you're engaged in things on campus and more pointedly you're engaged in aviation events out here at the college. We have a beautiful new $25 million building we just put up at, uh, in Battle Creek. And we have a lot of potential employers that come here on a daily basis. That's not an exaggeration. And I could almost guarantee if I walk downstairs right now into the atrium, there would be a potential employer set up at a table there uh, either taking resumes or talking about a specific career path. And so we do those things so regularly. Um, we have the Aviation Outlook Day in April, and I would invite anybody to come to it. Uh, but it, it uh, we have generally in the vicinity of 40 to 50 employers come in, and they are doing job interviews right there, then and there with most of our flight instructors and higher time students. So you've got these avenues, and not just the airlines. I don't want to make it sound like it's 100% geared only to airlines. Mm -hmm. It is a big part of what we do here. Uh, I would say it's probably 75 to 80% of our students go on to that type of flying. Um, but we have, as you're well aware, corporate departments that come in quite frequently and come to this Aviation Outlook Day. Northern Jet and Corporate Eagle were here last year doing on-site interviews with some of our instructors. Um, and, and so we've always got these kind of ends that you might not get elsewhere uh, between the scheduled events and then just non-scheduled events. You know, we, we've, we graduate so many people. I stay in touch as a faculty member with people like you, with all the students that I've sent to the airlines, with the people I graduated with that are now captains at the airlines. <clears throat> so there's just these different avenues for people to explore when they go through a collegiate program. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the networking opportunities. <clears throat> it's in aviation, as with so many other opportunities, it is all who you know in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, like you said, being able to graduate with some of these professionals or, or instruct some of these professionals, work with some of them, um, you know, it feels like there's a Western Michigan alum just about everywhere. 
Um, and, yeah. uh, it's, it's kind of cool to, to be able to know people in these different places. So that is of huge value. The, the, the big benefit there is, you know, I never went to the airlines. My, my background is mostly business airplane, flying flight instruction, but I graduated with, I don't know how many people that have gone on to the airlines. I have trained, I don't know how many students that are now captains and HR. Actually, one of my students was just here the other day performing, uh, interviews for a regional airline right down wow. the hall from my office. Full and circle. so it, it's, if I don't know how to go about something at the airlines, I usually call one of these people and just say, Hey, you know, I've got a student that's got a question. You got time to answer it? Absolutely. Send them my way. You know? So I think the collegiate just camaraderie, you know, it as well as I do the, the RSOs and the, you know, just being around each other. It's the tight knit group here. Mm -hmm. I think that builds a lot of networks and whether it's you're actually connected with somebody or you're connected with somebody that knows somebody, you've got this wealth of information out there available to you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and before we uh, switch gears to the next question, where we start talking about flight instruction, um, for somebody who's maybe already started their ratings, started flying, you know, is there a a cutoff? Does it get to a point where you've missed the boat to make the change and jump to a program like Western or like, have I, can people go too far before making that decision? Yeah. So as a student, um, my suggestion would be if you are looking at coming into a collegiate program or our, our collegiate program, I should be more specific because I'm not really 100% familiar with the rest of them, uh, <clears throat> that they don't go beyond the private pilot certificate. We have a transition course, and the further you go into your training outside of Western, the less eligibility you have for that restricted uh, ATP certificate. If you come in with a private pilot certificate and do our transition course, which is 10 lessons long, meant to just you know familiarize you with our aircraft, with our operation, um, you roll right into the instrument training after that, and it's as if you did your private pilot here, basically. Um, so, yeah, there is a point where I highly suggest to students that, hey, if you want to, you know, come into our program, don't go past that spot. That's not a hard, fast rule. It's, it's not like it's, it's restrictive, but then you start to lose some of that benefit and, and you lose some of that time that you're around here. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I tell people that there's one of uh, there's two schools of thought on this uh, coming into the transition course or coming into our program with a private pilot certificate in that we are a structured program. I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of transitioning the way we schedule and things. And so it is a structured here is your schedule. You need to be here to fly. We're training you. It's not a uh, tell us what your schedule is and and we'll work on the weekends or whenever to figure out when you can fly. It, it is a structured thing. We've got limited resources in instructors and airplanes, and we've got this huge influx in students. So we are very structured in the way we do flight training, not just from the scheduling standpoint, but also the lessons. It's not a, uh, you know, oh, today we're just going to go out and work on steep turns for an hour. Mm -hmm. Nope. Here is the set of, maneuvers that we're going to fly here's the mission profile and this is what you're going to go do today and you know it i mean you've got the whole training course outline available to you as soon as you start so you're familiar with it as a student so 
in coming in with the private pilot certificate, I've seen a couple of different things happen. One, they train in a smaller, slower, less technically advanced airplane. The Cirrus is, is a, a handful for a lot of new pilots. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit faster than most of your light GA airplanes. It is got more buttons to push and that might be fun for some, it might be intimidating for others. So, uh, you know, I've seen it where students come in fly, having flown a, a 150 and, um, you know, great training airplane, no doubt about it, but maybe they did it with, uh, you know, somebody that wasn't as structured as us and they have a really hard time transitioning in. Mm -hmm. I've had students that I've worked on this transition course with for two weeks. I've had some that have taken six months, Oof. you know, so it is, um, it's all about the individual again, just like the option to choose your training outlet. But I have seen that transition course be difficult for people in coming to this more structured environment. So to, to back up to the original question, I guess, um, it, it, it will depend on the individual and, and really what they're flying and how they're operating in that private pilot certificate as to how successful they will be in this transition course. Mm -hmm. If you want the structure, I know I'm going to go to the airlines. This is the structure I want to be familiar with. We do a fantastic job training to that. And that sounds like a brag. I can back it up with 100% fact in a lot of the training that I've done at flight safety. Um, you know, there's, there's instances where, uh, you know, I, I, my first type training, they said, oh man, you must have some time as a crew or you maybe have time in something bigger, faster. And again, this isn't a brag, but it is a statement of fact and a testament to our, our program that we do a good job training to that. Yeah. That might I be would a agree with that. much for people right off the bat and others might take to it really well. Uh, so it, it's about the individual at that point, but the hard, fast stop, I would say don't come in with something past the private pilot certificate. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. That's good to know. It's, it's hard to learn these things when you're coming in as a non-pilot because you really don't know what to look for. So that's, that's a great uh, piece of advice. So now switching gears, let's say that uh, um, I'm a flight instructor. Let's say that, uh, um, you know, I got my ratings in a different way and and I didn't attend a place like Western. And that's again, that's OK. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, you're looking to build some hours. You're looking to build some time. 141 collegiate institutions have no shortage of students. So, you know, it's a great place to go if you want to get a ton of time and you want to do it quickly. Um is there like, what would I do? I don't, I don't have a familiarity with collegiate aviation, but I am a licensed or a certificated flight instructor. Can I, could I come work for a place like Western? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I just trained two new MEIs that um, it, it was last summer that I trained them that had come from part 61 training all the way up through, didn't do the collegiate program. They had a four-year degree, but not a, a, an aviation degree. Um, I think one was business and one was engineering, but had flight instructor certificates all the way up through with the aim of being corporate pilots. And uh, they are now up at uh, Northern Jet and they uh, have done some great things for us. They were great instructors for us. Um, they basically applied like everybody else. Um, I didn't do their initial training here. 
I did their multi-engine instructor training, but the initial training is basically the addition of three or four flight lessons and then a couple of sims just to get familiarity with how we operate the aircraft, the equipment that we're on. Um, and, and so it's really not that much of a difference in um, the application process. So essentially, it, as long as you meet the qualifications, um, you know, you could you could apply and you could hopefully get a job with uh, with a collegiate institution, regardless of whether you have a uh, <clears throat> history with the program or not. Correct. So once you get in the door at a place like Western, you know, one of the advantages is at least there was when I was there is that the university will help you get additional um ratings correct like if you come in with your cfi then then you can use university airplanes to maybe get your double i or maybe get your mei yeah i was fortunate enough to come in at a time where instructors were starting to be at a a bit of a premium you know we we were fortunate to get jobs when we did but then a few years into it this hiring really really picked up at, at all all these departments. And so you're starting to see instructors be at a premium. So that started to change a little bit. Um, I came in with my uh, initial rating and through my, uh, the, the standardization training did a lot of instrument stuff. And it was expected of you that you have your CF double I within, I want to say it's a few weeks of being hired, probably a few months if it happens in the winter here in Michigan, but it it is, there is a set timeline where they want you to have that. And through the standardization process, you work on a lot of that stuff. So you're paying a really minimal amount for the addition of the CFII. Then going on into the MEI, I was one of the first groups that Western started paying for your standardization in the twin prior to you even having a multi-engine instructor rating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they also have kind of a retention bonus or they did when I came up of, uh, if you give them, I believe it's 1500 hours dual given, you had your option of a number of different, uh, training benefits. I happened to apply mine to that multi-engine instructor certificate and wound up paying very, very minimal amount for that as well. I think I wound up only paying for the check ride. That's cool. Yeah. And the, the last point that I'll make to that is uh, I was a, a aviation associate as well. Um, your, our collegiate program has a program where for the flight instructors where uh, you can get some full-time benefits. And I was actually fortunate enough to get one of those positions, I want to say in 2014, and started working on a master's degree, which the university paid for in full. That's cool. That's really cool. And so then for for your case, we can kind of wrap your story into this a little bit. Um, you know, you decided that it was something that you enjoyed as much as you do, and you've been able to kind of work through the ranks of that. So how did uh, how did you transition then from aviation associate to faculty specialist? If, if you know, education is your passion, um, you know, how would one follow that path with you? So the biggest thing I'll say about my situation, it just happened to be right place, right time. Um, you know, I, I was 
fortunate enough to be an associate, get the master's degree, which goes a long way in the hiring process of a full-time faculty member. Uh, the, the academic departments put a big weight on uh, graduate level degrees. And I was working on mine at the time. So they assumed that I would continue it if I was uh, awarded a full-time position. Um, but the, the other part they really look at is industry experience. And again, I was fortunate enough to kind of be right place, right time. And I uh, flew the citation for probably four years or so before I, I became full-time. Uh, so I had some industry experience in something other than just Western Michigan University. And, you know, I think that went a long ways in the personnel committee's uh, decision to, to bring me on to teach classes, as well as my experience and familiarity with the program. Mm -hmm. So to, to kind of follow in the, the becoming a, a faculty member, um, you know, my first, my first suggestion to anybody looking to do that would be to get experience, whether that's as a flight instructor, because we put a heavy, heavy weight on that as well. Um, whether it's as a flight instructor, whether you uh, manage a flight school, whether you decide you want to go do some part 91 stuff, or you want to go to the 121 environment for a while, get some experience that you can bring back to the classroom with you um, in some sense or another. Again, flight instruction, part 91 stuff, part 121, whatever you can bring back in there is going to be seen as added value to you as an instructor getting into that classroom. Uh, so, so that's that's kind of the advice I would have for anybody that's that's hoping to find a position like mine. There are other positions in collegiate aviation. It's not just classroom stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that are involved in research. We have a lot of people that are more heavily involved in administration than I am. Um, we also have people that are full-time flight instructors. We have uh, open positions, as a matter of fact, that are uh, available that. Uh, we, we, you, you manage the instructors, you manage the students, but you are basically responsible for full-time flight instruction. So mm -hmm. it's not just the, the faculty side of it, um, which can be grueling at times with having to serve on some committees and things like that, but there are other positions in, in collegiate aviation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it's one of the uh, sort of less talked about, uh, professional routes as a pilot, you know, everybody talks about the airlines and some of the other things. Um, but there's really good opportunities within the training structure, within the collegiate structure. Um, and, uh, you know, I just don't think that, uh, that people talk about how rewarding they can be. Um, just because I don't know, I really don't know why people don't talk about it. Well, as truth much. be told, you come into a program like this, and and I was a first generation pilot, first generation college student. So you come into a program like this, and it is airlines, airlines, airlines. That's mm -hmm. that's what's what's most visible to you as a student here. So all four years, I'm thinking airlines, 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 and start to talk to some people about the lifestyle, and start to talk to some people about. Um, you know, the, the, and as a matter of fact, I'd done a couple of airline interviews and it was with a couple of companies that were on a downward trend when we came out of school and mm -hmm. are no longer in existence. So I'm glad I didn't jump on board with them, <laughs> right. uh, but the, uh, 
you know, what really kind of drew me to it was my experience as a flight instructor going, hey, you know, I really enjoy teaching. It's really rewarding to see that student get back from that check ride with a new certificate and a beaming smile. That's really rewarding for me. How about I do it to 200 students in an intro to aerodynamics class, you know, and mm-hmm. when they pass that class, they're, they're proud of themselves and you can be proud of them. It, it's a really rewarding thing. But because these programs focus so heavily on airlines, a career in education is very seldom talked about. It's very similar to the corporate environment. You know, yeah. that, that has more visibility than education on our campus. But it is a, a far distant backseat to the airlines. So, yeah, I think it's just it, it's it's there. I think there are people that do spend their careers in in collegiate aviation like me. But I think it's such a small percentage that it's really not visible on campus all that often. Hmm. And hopefully maybe something like this might uh, sort of expand the the sphere of influence on something like that. You know, it's I I admire um, what you do for so many students, um, because Kyle, I, I'm not just saying this because we're sitting here, but uh, I remember I flew with you um, a couple times when we did um you know student swaps or or whatever that was and and you really were made for that i mean you're you're the right guy for that role because you're a very talented instructor so um i appreciate nice that. To see that, you doing that that means a lot and uh i i hope the students feel the same way <laughs> i think so i think so so the sort of the the last prong to this conversation you know uh, we just talked about the the possibility of staying a instructor for a long-term career and and uh there are plenty of opportunities even outside of the collegiate environment to do that um, but we also know that there's, um, you know, a lot of instructors that uh, that come in for a little while and then go find other opportunities. And the, I, I want to emphasize the fact because in our in our little world, um, instructors who do it for a few years to go find another opportunity um, in the past, that has been almost vilified. Um, and my entire career here at NAFI, um, and just in general, I have really been trying to push the notion that that's okay. You know, I, I, as long as an instructor comes in and with the time that they spend as instructors, do the best job that they can look after their students and make sure that they are being provided with safe, respectful, professional training if that person decides, hey, I want to go try this other opportunity or, hey, I want to go shift gears into this, I don't see any reason why the instructor community or pilot community should say, oh, well, this person, you know, doesn't belong in this role because they're only going to do it for a couple of years, you know. Um, so with that said, um, what does it look like in a collegiate environment? And you touched on it a little bit already um, for somebody looking to do it for only a few years and then transition into something else. What, uh, what kind of opportunities are there? That that's the biggest sect of our instructor population right now. And everybody here has seen it for so long that, that we're keen to the fact that I would 100% agree with you. There is no reason they should be vilified for doing that. Um, everybody's got to do what's right for them and, and their families and moving on to the next bigger and better thing is going to be better for them and their families. So, you know, as long as they put forth that solid effort, they take care of their students, um, they're professional, 
there's no reason we don't support them here. We always have and always will continue to do so. If an instructor came into my office today and said, Kyle, I want to go to this corporate department. Do you know anybody that I could talk to? I would give them the phone number of a person right now. If they said, Kyle, I want to talk about going to Delta Airlines, I would give them the phone number of a person right now. Um, you know, again, as long as they're taking care of those students, uh, we are 100% supportive of that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do find instances where instructors don't take care of their students and decide that something other flying job on the side is more important than their student. And that doesn't tend to work out well. Mm-hmm. And we are more structured than some other schools in that there's a lot of oversight that happens with instructor and student relationships. We have a, I forget the exact position, but basically a student success specialist in which her door is always open down there. The student says, hey, this is just not working out. The the instructor is gone three of our four slots every week because they're flying something else. They walk into that student success office and sure enough, it, it becomes an issue and it gets sorted out one way or another. So we are fully, fully supportive of that type of instructor. Um, you know, we're not going to let people take advantage of students because I would never say anything bad about instruction as a whole, but I have seen people come to me as students and quite blatantly, they were taken advantage of by their instructor when they don't know how to do a weight and balance or performance sheet at 50 hours of flight time. And of that 50 hours, 48 is cross country. Mm. You know, that, that's, that is policed here really, really closely. Um, we have monthly CFI meetings in which training events and uh, training anomalies, I guess I'll call them, are discussed. And so when that kind of thing pops up, which it does from time to time, it's discussed and we talk about professionalism and why that doesn't work here. And so I think, you know, if you come in with the attitude of, you know what, I'm only going to be here two years, but I'm going to give this my best effort. I am going to, you know, take care of these students. These students are my goal. Uh, I want to get them through this course efficiently and safely as possible you're going to be very, very happy at this, at at a program like this. Um, You take the alternative route and you might find that you're not as happy. So, you know, it's all, you, you will get out of a position like this, what you put into it. Yeah. if, If you come in, take care of the students, everything's, you know, done right on your end. We will take care of you here in that we will assist you in any way possible finding that next step in your career. And, and, you know, one thing we try to instill in these students right now is you're never done being an instructor in this field. In, in this career path as a pilot, you are never done being an instructor. Um, whether that is serving as a training captain or whether that's just being a captain and having somebody junior to you sitting next to you. Everything you do is on display for that. And you will learn something from anybody. It's up to you to determine what is right and what is wrong and sift through that information. So you are always out there on display as an instructor, even when you take that next step, even if you don't ever take that official training captain moniker and, and, you know, it's, it's more or less just a part 91 position or something like that, where you're captain and you've got somebody throwing gear to the the next seat of you, uh, to the seat right of you. Um, 
I was fortunate enough to come up and do part 91 operations with two guys that were just phenomenal instructors. I mean, they were retired corporate pilots, thousands of hours of experience. They wanted to teach a young person how to fly that airplane. <laughs> and so every flight was a learning experience for me. And I really took that to heart sitting in the left seat now of, hey, you know, when I've got somebody sitting next to me, I'm always teaching. They're always absorbing something from me. So we try really hard here to make that clear to our students, or at least I do when I'm working with my multi-engine students and multi-engine instructors is, you know, your students are watching you almost every minute, every second that they are around you, you know, and, and so you'll take that to the rest of your career, whether it's the, the next step is the airlines, corporate environment, education, whatever it is, they will watch that and they are learning from you. Whether you want to be an instructor or not, <laughs> you have that, that, I guess, probably not the right word or best choice of words, but you have that burden mm -hmm. that, that you are the teacher there. So Both in the I air think, and on the ground. Exactly, exactly. So I think we do a pretty good job of instilling good habits here, um, you know, and that we demand a, a fair amount from our instructors from a professionalism standpoint. And when they aren't professional, it's addressed. Um, but I think that carries them well into the next phases of their career, which, again, we are always, always supportive of. Any sort of final thoughts, any any other points that you want to mention, either about uh, WMU specifically or just uh, the, the collegiate environment in general? Um, you know, I, I don't think so. I think we, we've covered a lot of good stuff there for prospective students, prospective instructors, people that may be looking to get into academics. Uh, I would invite anybody that has any questions to, to look me up on the NAFI website. Um, I'm sure I'm listed there as I'm a member. Um, and, and certainly get in touch. If you have any questions, I'd be happy to, to answer them. Uh, again, whether that's from students, uh, prospective instructors, or, or somebody that's looking to get into maybe a full-time position as a, a, a faculty member at the college. So final question is, uh, if I'm an instructor and I don't work for Western, are you hiring? Uh, from a, a part-time instructor position? Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Um, I believe their next hire date or next hire class is going to be in November is what I heard a rumor of. Uh, I think our director of standards has been running classes uh, about every four months, it seems like. And how um, does one apply? How does one apply? You would go to the College of Aviation website. And on the left side, left hand side of the uh, screen there, you'll find the uh, I believe there's a, a tab for prospective student or excuse me for, for prospective instructors. Wonderful. Wonderful. So you heard it folks. If you don't have a flight instructing job and you're looking for a great place to go, Western Michigan in Battle Creek, um, would be a great place. Go to the website and, uh, I'll put it in the show notes so that you can easily find it and uh and apply that way so kyle with that i appreciate your time today thank you for sharing uh sort of your pathway and, and your thoughts and uh um we'll talk to you soon that sounds great thanks for having me on 